today is going to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Uh, but I want to start reading back in verse 127 to help us to complete the thought of what Paul is writing to the Philippians. So if you want to turn your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it's going to be on your screen as well. Let's read together. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation in that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Pastor John last week broke down the passage into four different sections. He said that we need to be standing firm in Christ. Uh, and then we need to be trusting in Christ with everything that we have. And then we need to have confidence in our salvation. And then we must be willing to suffer for Christ. And when we do, when we stand firm, we can expect that there's going to be opposition towards us. That we'll, we will be seen as Christians as a threat to people outside of the faith of Jesus Christ. You see, people have no problem when you say that Jesus is a way, that Jesus is a salvation. But when you say, or you say that Jesus is my salvation, that Jesus is the, my way to heaven, because that, that fits in many world religions. But when you start saying that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him, then that's when you start to face conflict and uh, from outside of the faith. Because now they see you as being narrow-minded, even though that's what Scripture tells us to do. We need to be standing firm together, side by side, in this truth. That Jesus is our only Savior. And John shared with us, it's like men who stand side by side with each other in battle. That we are to live worthy of the gospel, which means that we need worthy, which means living worthy of the gospel all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross that we must be willing to suffer. And then when we suffer, we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. Now, our suffering is different than Jesus Christ because we are not atoning for the death of others. But we are... Um, but we must still deny ourselves to the point that we must be willing to go to a cross for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had this idea in mind that he was willing to die for Jesus Christ. But what he didn't have in mind was how to do it. So at the first inclination that, that Paul had, I'm sorry, that Peter had, was when Jesus was betrayed. And his first opportunity was that he drew a sword and cut off somebody's ear. But that's not the way of Jesus Christ. We lose focus often time on what's important. When we forget about what's important to Jesus Christ, which is the gospel, the, the way of salvation that He provided. And we have to start fighting with each other. And sometimes we have in mind that what's going to draw us together is our age, our similar economics, our ge- geography, or many other different things. Uh, sometimes we even pull together that it's our mission statement in a church that's going to drive us together. But it can't be any of those things. It has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spirit that is in us. I want to show you a clip from Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans is a football movie. Uh, and the clip shows uh, Coach Boone, who's taken the guys out for a very early morning run in the hills of Gettysburg. And it's because that they're supposed to be on one team with United uh, together uh, as they fight the other, um, other team. But what's happening is that the sin of racism is breaking the unity. Let's roll that clip. 
bloody know what this place is. This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field. Fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead going right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. They killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. Take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like that. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe.
We love because He first loves us. Ideologies and world religions have this in complete reverse. They say that if you adhere to what they have to say, then you will receive their love. However, this is false, and we, can, we know it's false, but it also creeps into the church, and it creeps into pseudo-church. Because the last week I was talking to two different guys about how that they are they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they also believe that if they could just obey a little bit more, then God would then lavish His love on them. It's like almost a belief in karma about how Christ loves them. Chris is going to preach next week on Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-9. through 9. And you will see that God's love is not conditional. It's not a contract. It's in saying if you do good things, then He will take the form of a servant. If you do a few more good things, then He will become obedient to the point of death. And if you do an extra measure of good, then He will even die on the cross for you. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, 6-11, that if Christ died for you while you were yet enemies, how much more will He love you now that you are His son and daughter? Paul is reminding the Philippians of Christ's lavish love on them and then gives them expectations as to how to live. More than expectations, but commands. He says in verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul says, Complete his joy by being. And I want to hang out there just for a moment. He says, By being is not what you do, but really it's who you are. Friends, our, our character will always reveal itself when things don't go well, you will see what the person worships or doesn't worship and what they trust in what they don't trust in when conflict arises. You will see what type of gospel they believe in or what type of gospel they, that, they, that they don't believe in. By being of the same mind is not having the same likes or dislikes. But being of the same mind is having the same disposition towards something. Uh, a similar way is if you are a sports fan and you're, cry, and you're in the, the stadium, you're cheering on your team for them to win. And you're cheering against the opposition for them to lose. You have one heartbeat for your team to win and for the other team to lose. What heart, what heart attitude is Paul referring to by saying the same love? He's referencing right back to verse 1. Any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection in sympathy. Remember, since you are encouraged by Christ, then you should have that same attitude. You should be in full accord with one another and of one mind. When I played college basketball, our teammates, the team, we had many different uh, opinions about a multitude of different things. But when it came to game time, we were of one accord. We had one mind of how to win the game. We brought together. We were brought together. Paul, this next command that Paul has in verse 3 is, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We don't have the details of the situations, but Epaphrodites must have been communicating to Paul about a situation or potentially a heartbeat that was happening in the, the church of Philippi. And so Paul is needing to address it. And his command here is that you should do nothing out of selfish ambition. And selfish ambition is strife that prompts people to push their own way, to have their own agenda. Conceit. Empty glory. The pursuit of personal glory, which is the motivation for selfish ambition. 
you can achieve all that you desire in life and what you want, but to whose glory is it going to be? Have you ever been around a person who, uh, well, in Christianity, we get really creative with these words, and we can disguise these things in the underneath Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just doing it for Jesus Christ. So we've been underneath and being with people that we say they're just speaking passionately to you, or they're just the driven person in this life. And yet all they all talk about is really themselves. And there's nothing really inherently wrong with being passionate and driven. I can find myself in that way as well. But when those things, what they're after is a position, a power, fame, control, and then we've fallen into sin. And when we've finally achieved those destinations, and we were expecting other people to celebrate with us, there no one is there to be found. Or it's like when we finally have built our dream home, right? purchased a car, gone on vacation that we've always desired for us. And we finally have come to a place where we truly have what we wanted. We find ourselves so empty desiring something more. Friends, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Because Christ, I'm sorry, Paul is saying, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Humility. It's a loving sacrifice that will cost you something. A sacrifice that costs you nothing is not a result of love or the gospel. Someone that has, uh, has defined humility as not thinking less about yourself, like uh, having a negative view about who you are, but thinking about yourself less. A humble person contributes, a humble person contributes to the unity of the church by counting others more significant than themselves. Count. This is a choice in your life and a choice in my life. We must choose to count others more significant than ourselves. We must deny ourselves and follow Jesus Christ by seeing people more significant than us. And more significant. It's simple as saying more important. So humbleness is when you are intentionally counting someone more important than yourself and you desire to serve them. This is a heart posture that we must have. It's not something that we check off the list or something that we do for other people. We do it for the glory of God. Because in the end, if we do it for our own selves, God will see what it is. He knows our hearts. He knows our motives. And so we want to give Him the glory. So humbleness is having a clear understanding of what your position is in this life and using it for the benefit of others. So humbleness looks like this. It's a mom and dad who sacrificially uh, love their child, their difficult child, by discipling them and disciplining them with love and patience. It is a husband who sacrificially loving his wife at the, at the end of a long day, sitting down and listening to how her day went. It's a son or daughter who, who's now in the position as caregiver of parents, who is making hard choices and loving them sacrificially. It's a boss or employer who sacrificially loves their employees by listening gently to the complaints and asking about how their home life is. An employee who, instead of being angry about a decision that has been made by the company or the boss, prays for wisdom and discernment for them, and then also prays for blessings upon their boss's family. Why be this way? Why? I believe the greatest expression of the gospel is when we stand in unity 
that people from different backgrounds are united solely because they have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And thus making every single person equal. It is when we see each other each other as equals, and when we choose to come together and choose to sacrifice our needs and preferences so much so that it costs us something for the sake of the gospel. It's when we desire so much for the gospel to bring unity that we are thinking about the other person so much that we are seeking, seeking to come to understand of what that person needs from you in that moment. Verse 4. It says, let each of you not only look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we can say own interests means to somebody else's needs. So let each of you look not only to your own needs, but also to the needs of others. Oftentimes, when we enter into a situation, uh, kind of the unknown, getting into a new relationship, uh, we'll ask, how much is it going to cost us? And sometimes that's a very good, wise because we don't want to be taken advantage of. Other times, our heart motive is, how little can I give up in this situation? Which is actually goes back to selfish ambition and conceit. We recently studied the book of Ruth, right? And part of what the story makes it so powerful is the love that Ruth has for Naomi. And the love that Ruth has for Naomi is called Hesed Love. And Paul Miller, an author, defined this for me several years ago. He said, it's love without an exit strategy. And so when, when Ruth went to love Naomi, she did not know where her life was going to head. But she loved her with no plans of leaving her. And she had no plans of leaving God. That's the same type of love that God has for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Sounds familiar, right? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love God, love people. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we follow God, asking the question, How much will it cost me? It's actually really conceited. Because we're really thinking about ourselves. And we shouldn't even be asking that question. Well, we should be allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us into the next step. And so we must be willing to jump into situations, not fully understanding, always knowing where God is going to take us into the next plan. Because when Christ went to the cross, he had no exit strategy for leaving. So what's the hang-up? Why don't we live this way? Well, oftentimes it's the fear. The fear that's with us uh, of the unknown. Uh, the fear of just not knowing where things are going to, going to come and how things are going to turn out. And so we look for this temporary happiness of where we can keep peace for ourselves. Uh, but And the temporary happiness, in the end, it doesn't give any glory to God. That we don't want it to be inconvenienced. It's empty glory because God is not glorified when we ignore the suffering of others so that we can feel peace. You cannot find that in Scripture. Uh, I do a lot of the counseling, pastoral counseling of the church, by my, no means all of it. Uh, and on a regular basis, people come and they share their, their burdens with me, what's going on into their life. Uh, it, is it hard to hear these stories? Yes, it is. It does a way I mean, of course, I'm just a human being. Uh, it, am I scared of what I'm going to hear? Yes. 
some things are, are really, really messy. Am I fearful of what it may expose in my own heart? Yes. There have been times when I have been counseling a married couple and how they interact with each other. And as I've seen them sin against each other through their interaction, it has actually exposed my own heart as to how I talk or treated Lauren. And so in those moments, I've had to be convicted of my own sin and confess those to the Lord. But why would I still want to continue to counsel people? It's because I believe John 10, 10 to 11. It says that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That Jesus has come to give life, that, he may, that we may have, a, have life and have it to abundantly. He says that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I also believe Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. It says that we should open up your mouth for the mutes, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open up your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. When a brother or sister in Christ cannot stand up for themselves, they have lost their voice, is when someone needs to stand in the gap and start to defend them. And where we want to visibly demonstrate the love of the gospel to people. Go back to verse uh, verse 1. So, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, if there's any of that, and the answer is yes, then we are free in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And we should want to do that for others. We, want to, we should love them with no exit strategy and not be afraid of what it brings up in us and what God reveals to in, in us. It's a heart posture that needs to be applied to all areas of Friends, we've just been through a pandemic together the last several months, and I think we've done a really good job uh, of coming through this, right? We've listened to each other's suffering. We've listened. We've come alongside of each other. We've showed up with meals. We've heard each other's complaints. We've supported each other in a multitude of different ways, and we should take glory in that because we've been exalting God. Though we can't meet here on a Sunday morning, right? The church has not ended. Yet there's a glaring a reminder that we are still not as united as we should be. In the last two weeks, we've been reminded of that, right? That there are brothers and sisters in Christ and around the world who have been facing a cultural pandemic longer than the last several months. And it's not a virus that attacks the body. It's the sin of racism. We've all seen the videos and news reports and heard us pray for the families who have lost loved ones in the past few months. We're seeing people protest. We're seeing people go out and, and riot and, and, and looting because you've seen the sin nature just take over them and how they're taking advantage of the situation. There's so many videos, social media posts, news reports that we're being, are being shared right now that it's really it's overwhelming. However, brothers and sisters, it is vitally important that we stand together visibly under, united, under the unity of the gospel together. We're commanded to do that in today's passage. So I want to ask you, as individual believers, do you hurt as to what's happening? Not just angry, but do you grieve? Do you hurt for your fellow man? Do you hate the sin of racism as much as God does? Racism is taking God's image bearers and saying that they have no worth. I've often wondered why we turn a blind eye to sin of racism and multitude of, of other sins. Is it out of selfish ambition and conceit so that we're far too worried about our own selves, our own agendas, or worse? Perhaps we're allowing the news and what's happening in social media to drive after what we care for. Friends, when and if 
testing happens, will you still care? Will you still be heartbroken over this? Or are you just waiting for them to go and be quiet once again? What I'm fearful is that we allow the narrative of racism to be driven by people that we don't know. We need to slow down and start listening to the people that we do know. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who have their own stories of racism in their own life. Uh, This past Wednesday, a group of pastors, we gathered together down in Center City, Allentown, to pray for reconciliation for our nation. Uh, Pastor David Smith from Bethel Emmaus shared with us that when he saw the video two weeks ago, that it felt like his neck was being pressed down upon his neck. He said if you were to ask a black person if they face racism, the answer is yes. I talked recently to someone about a racist experience that they had. And what they told me is that it just happens, Adam. It's expected that these things happen. We at Cedar Crest must have the courage right now to stand together in the unity of the gospel. And we must intentionally put the needs of others above ourselves. But how? Well, we need to start with prayer. We are a praying church, and that's one of our core things here at Cedar Crest. But we need to start praying, uh, praying for God's image bearers to be reconciled with one another. We need to start praying as individuals and collectively together. If we try to solve a sin issue without prayer, we are doomed for failure. We must rely on the power of the gospel the whole way. And we cannot be afraid of getting into the messiness and complexity of racism in our country. We cannot be fearful of what we may hear or what we may reveal in us as individuals. I have one of the greatest honors and gifts that is bestowed upon men, and that is to be a dad. If you've seen my family, you'll understand that my children, and you'll see that my children do not look like me. So I'm a very proud dad of a twin boy called Daniel. Before we had our kids, I was actually nervous about having kids who did not look like me. Because I did not know how I was going to handle the sin of racism. Or what it may even reveal in my own heart. But the Lord helped me to conclude that if my kids had no choice in this, then I also should not have a choice in this as well. And let me give you an example of how God changed my life. I remember my oldest, Gracie, he sat in one of those Ergo Babies uh, carriers. And we were walking through a store. And I was a very proud dad, and I was used to getting stared by, at that point, a white dad with a black child. I was okay with that. And I was giving her kisses. And then uh, I remember distinctly a black man walking in front of me. And out of the overflow of my own heart, a racist thought came towards that man. And right there in the middle of the store, God exposed the hypocrisy that was in my life. How could I love my child but have hate for that man? And then the glory of the gospel came forth. Because it exposed the sin that was in my heart. And I was not afraid to confess it to a good and righteous God. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we will make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My white brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to intentionally choose to ask our brothers and sisters what it's like to be black or a different skin color in this country. When we ask, we need to start to listening to their stories in order to get to know them. Someone told me recently that they just did this. And they realized that there's a whole other side of their life that they've never been attuned to. 
back to importance, to why I'm important. Back when I was a youth pastor, uh, there was a girl who had hit her head uh, on a light switch, and blood started gushing and spurting out of her head. Immediately, out of just pure reaction, I ripped off my shirt and put it on top of her head because there was the, the wound that was there. Now, what would have happened if I did not take off my shirt and start applying pressure? She would have probably held her own head. Could she have gotten better on her own? Potentially. Could she find her way to the hospital? Potentially. Would she have passed out? Most likely. And what would have happened if we did not get her medical attention? It would probably still continue to bleed and probably get infected and go far worse. A wound like that is easy for us to understand. But a wound on the heart of a person like the wound of racism is hard for us to see the gash on their heart. However, what happens, friends, is that when that wound is never taken care of or if it is hit, and they see, or they see someone going through the same experience as them, there is a reaction. How would you react if somebody hits your broken arm or if you, somebody hits your gashed head? There is a reaction. So how does somebody heal with a heart wound? Well, we begin that they must be heard about the suffering that they've gone through. And when they're heard, they must be believed. And they must be allowed to grieve of what has been lost and then lament to the Lord about how things are. Just to show you how important laments are, in Psalms, there's 42 different Psalms of lament about men not liking how things are and taking it to the Lord. But we need, but we don't want to stay stuck with lamenting, right? We need to bring our pain to Jesus Christ, to the cross of Jesus Christ, who is our answer in this situation. And when we bring our, cro- our, our, our pain to the cross of Jesus Christ, is then we can start to actually forgive and rebuild our lives and be able to move to a place of resiliency in our life. The Lord, right, we, we, we say this prayer, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. But he's also our place you and me in this lifetime to hear those painful stories. When there is a heart wound, the answer is always Jesus Christ. Can they get there on their own? Yeah. Because God is God of miracles. God has placed you and me here to hear those broken stories. Friends, the sin of racism is nothing new. It's been here since Genesis 11 since the Tower of Babel. The Bible talks that we've actually tried to address this with our biblical principles of living. And I'm going to read Articles 102 uh, under justice. I'm not going to read the full article. I want you to go look at it. Here is what it says. In a world of sinful people, injustice results when human beings are judged by such things as color of skin, ethnicity, gender, age, socioeconomic, and occupational status. To evaluate people based on such external characteristics is inconsistent with faith in Jesus Christ. Those who value people in this way are acting out of ungodly cultural biases and sinful pride. Injustice also results when persons allow their own sinful motivations, such as greed, jealousy, and envy, to shape the relationship with other people. In Jesus Christ, such wicked and false distinctions or motivations are abolished. God's love for humankind knows no racial, national, economic, age, or gender boundaries, and God's people must demonstrate this same impartial love. The proclamation of the gospel to every person, regardless of location or status, will be a matter of great priority among those who love justice.
who value justice will seek consistent and upright applications of human law so that there is no so that no one is denied due process because of sinful distinctions. Those who love justice will seek truth and act with integrity in all relationships. The quest for justice in a world distorted by sin will often yield imperfect and incomplete results. The people of God who love justice will repent when they recognize their failure to do justice and renew their efforts to bring justice to those who have been denied it. So what do we do? Because sin of racism is here to stay until the day of Jesus Christ. One, here's some instructions for us, right? And this is what comes out out of today's text. Is that right? Is that we should all dive deeper into the gospel and believe that each person, every one of us, is loved and is made in the image of our Creator. We need to dive deeper into the gospel so that we can actually stand firm in the gospel and then deny ourselves. The Lord is calling step two, right? The Lord is calling us to pray. Racism is a spiritual problem, so it needs a spiritual solution. Three, as Christians, we are called to pursue, right? Pursue relationships with people who don't look like us. I believe He's calling all of us to intentionally listen to each other about to listen to each other and not be afraid of the awkwardness of entering into the messiness and complexity of racism. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. But we need to seek to understand the pain of racism. We need to resist the urge to do a quick answer. It's okay not to have the answer. Seek to understand what your friends greatest need from you is in that moment. And sometimes the greatest need is just for you to listen and to enter into their pain. We really need to be careful of our social media posts. Some things that we think are correct and right are not because of a lack of our understanding. To seek wisdom. If you're going to post something, post Scripture. Don't allow a meme or what somebody else says about it to, to drive what you understand. And of course, right, with, with that, is get, in, get informed. If your only source of information is somebody out there, or typing in Google or listening to a news resource, please like, reach out to me. I put together a, a list of resources that I'm more than glad to share with you about this. Friends, there is, there is so much more I could say on this. I'm just scratching the surface. But if we, as a gospel believer, and we promote when we want the gospel to go forth here, to not dive deeper into the gospel and then pursue relationship with one another, if we stall on that, then where is the hope for the world? If we say we have the answer but don't live by the answer of Jesus Christ, where is the hope? The, hope, the world does not need more protests. What it needs is for Christian lives, Christians to live worthy of the gospel by staying firm against opposition and to be serving one another in humble compassion all the way to the cross. Uh, finally, uh, for today's service, we're going to end by singing the song Amazing Grace uh, for two different reasons. Uh, one reason is that we're familiar with the song, but are we also familiar with the story behind the song, the song John Newton? John Newton was actually worked as a slave trader. And then he came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was interesting, as he said, that he came to faith in Jesus Christ and stopped cursing, but yet still continued to be working on a slave ship. 
Eventually, the, the Lord showed him the, the sinfulness of that. And where he wrote this song, Amazing Grace, a wretch I like me, a wretch like me. He understood the depravity in how he viewed God's image bearers to now loving God's image bearers. And two, because this is a spiritual calling, we have to be reminded of God's amazing grace in our lives. If we try to move forward on this without reminding ourselves of how God lavished His, His hectic love on us, we are doomed to failure. So I pray that I've been, been clear, been clear and faithful to today's text. I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to move in your life. And as we sing today's uh, final song, I pray that the Lord will continue to move in your life.
today's message is probably hard for some of us to hear. Uh, so I want to invite you into a conversation with myself and, and others, if that's what you truly need. Uh, if you want that list of resources, I would love to give you that list of resources. My friends, we have many things to celebrate in this life, and God is good. One of the things we can celebrate is that we'll be back together in just a few short weeks. So I look forward to being with you, and I look forward to this day in heaven. I'm going to read out of Revelation 7, 9 through 11. It says, After this... I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. May God be the glory here at Cedar Crest forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, Cedar Crest, and I look forward to seeing you very soon.